And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our listening audience and our Facebook Live audience. Stan the Fans Bat Around is here, along with my co-host and good friend Craig Heist. And we are good friends, no question about it. Craig, it just dawned on me, this is Bonza's last show this week. So yeah. I know we I know we put together as much cash as we have right. as a going away present to him. I think we're up to five dollars. Well, as, as Billy Preston once sang, "Nothing from nothing leaves nothing." <laughs> don't don't celebrate too much, guys. Don't celebrate too much. What you mean? You might get a flat tire and not leave, or somebody might wise up and realize who they hired and cancel the whole thing. That, that's that, that's the one I'm worried. Okay, about. there you go. But the point I was getting at: we will always have bonds on this show. Yeah. Because we've got the opening of the show. Absolutely. He we doesn't do. own that opening. No. We own it. No, there's no he's copyright laws or and anything like that. he's been paid for it. That's really? Right. Handsomely, I might add. I'm thinking, you sure about that? I'm thinking about putting his uh, portrait right up here on the on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> next to the rubber padding. <laughs> All right. With a well, speeding ticket next to me? Yeah, there you go. We can, we can, we can put the ticket up there. <laughs> anyway, we are live each and every Saturday morning from 10 to 12. I know you've got some... Uh, You've got some uh, shows coming up that you're going to be absent. Uh, I think yeah. starting next week. Next week. Next week. Uh, what are you going to take Bonza down no, to Virginia? No, no. We'll we'll uh, we'll be doing the Mass and uh, Nats talk show for Phil Wood. Right. right. Uh, George Wallace is in today for Phil. Okay. Uh, and then it'll be me, George on the twenty seventh, and then I've got like three out of four weeks. George Wallace, the former governor no, of Alabama. No, no, no. And that's you know, the great. <laughs> there's a great Mike Hargrove story uh, about that when I took George in to introduce him to Mike. Right. Right. Uh, back when Mike was. Uh, uh, you know, managing the Orioles, and I see, you know, George was an intern at the time, and I just, you know, want to, you know, run around, chatter, you see what you do, that kind of thing. Right. And then, uh, you know, took him into, you know, that's the first thing Grover associated with George Wallace was. Was know, the, being the, the governor yeah, of Alabama. Alabama. Right. Anyway, speaking of the governor of Alabama, we've got a good group of guests today. Steve Molesky from Masson Sports is going to join us at 1020. At 11.05, Mark Zuckerman of Masson Sports on the Nats side will yeah, join us. Because they, uh, we were in the arbitration period, and while the Orioles got a lot done yesterday, the Nationals came to terms with three of their top guys. Who they too. get? Rendon? Anthony Rendon, uh, Tanner Roark, and Michael A. Taylor. And what is uh, Rendon making now? About uh, $8, about $8 I, I want to say, yeah, but he's going to be making 12.3. He's making 12.3, so yes. he made like seven or eight this past yeah. year. Okay, good for Anthony Rendon. Well, he had a great season. He's become season. a terrific player, terrific no question player. about it. No question. Um, and then in between, at 10.45, we're going to have my friend Joe Shuda. Joe does a, uh, a little radio vignette called Two Minute Timeouts up in the Altoona area of Pennsylvania. Longtime guy who's covered the Pirates very closely, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about what's going on with the Garrett Cole situation. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon situation, and just sort of how he sees a little bit of comparison with the Orioles and Pirates, which I frankly, we talked about on the phone yesterday, I don't, because the Pirates are truly a small market baseball team 
including the capacity in their stadium and their payroll is more like eighty or ninety million. Mm-hmm. Uriel's payroll was one hundred and sixty million last well, year. Well, if you think of PNC Park, you're looking at about thirty-nine to forty thousand people if they sell the thing out. Right. But Nationals Park only holds forty-one, forty-one and a half. So PNC is thirty-nine. Yeah, I thought it was less than that. No. Anyway. Let's leave the stadium size out. Their payroll size. Their payroll size is than yeah, the vastly different than the Orioles. And, uh, you know, and the other thing I want to try to get some, some feedback on from our guest today yeah. uh, is here we are in the offseason with free agency going on, and there are just so many. It's, it's been very, very dead. Yeah, I mean, and, there's and even talk now that the uh, Players Association – is looking into this whole situation as collusion, which we know happened back under Peter Uberoth back mm-hmm. in the late 80s, 87, 88, something right, like right. that. And they were found, the ownership was found guilty of collusion and were ruled uh, some severe damages, uh, penalties for that. We'll see how that plays out. I think I'm liking the storyline much more, Craig, that this is just a case that now – the people in these these statistical departments, metric departments of teams, they all know the same thing, and they really it's there's no gut feelings anymore. It's all quantifiable by the numbers, and uh, I think there have been some truths that they've unearthed, and that is namely like a guy like Jay Bruce. He's never going to get five years anymore once right. you're north of thirty years old. No, and I and I think that's a large part of the issue. People see that uh, in these in in the organizations, and uh, they're worried about injuries and things of that nature with ball players that are looking for these big time deals. And that's why I mean I think one of the things we saw last year during the off season, well, you, you think about Batista from the Blue Jays. He, right. he was expecting to get a big windfall. Oh, yeah. And nobody wanted to deal with it. And look how long it took Edwin Encarnacion to finally sign with the Indians. Right. So. All right. Well, we'll see. There's still a, uh, so to speak, a plethora of baseball players still out there as free agents with uh, spring training due to start in about 30 days now. Yeah. yeah pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. And, you know, we – we had a, a, a week or two of, like, just bone-chilling weather, and then it got warm, and now if you've walked expect, outside expect again, to be it's bone chilling getting again. back to being bone-chilling. So, yeah, I'm ready for spring training to start. All right. Um, interesting news this week. Uh, the, yesterday, Manny Machado signed his one-year uh, contract with the Baltimore Orioles, which most likely will be the last contract he ever plays under. Um, or or with signs the with the signs with the Orioles. Yeah. We don't know that he'll actually play under this contract because uh, there are some dogged rumors that keep attaching themselves to Machado. Uh, the most recent was Ken Rosenthal did a piece in the Athletic, um, theathletic.com, which is a, subscri- a subscription, subscription yeah. um, content uh, website. Um, and you know, I, I very rarely ever do the subscription thing. But you, you did know, for with, Ken. But I did for that because yeah. of Ken Rosenthal, not yeah. because of the football or the basketball or anything well, like I that. I do, too. And now when we invite him to be a guest on the show, we can say, hey, you're making your money. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but seriously, he wrote that the Diamondbacks are still very much alive in this thing. And the other day I turned on Casey Stern and Brad Lidge, and they were interviewing somebody. And I guessed at the be- at the I only caught like the last 90 seconds of it. I guessed it was Chris Andonetti, the general manager of the Indians. When he left the airwaves, they said, so what did we get from that interview, Brad? 
that Jay Bruce is not going back to the Indians, and they're very much in the Manny Machado hunt. Mm -hmm. And that was very interesting to hear the Indians, a team that they may feel that for one year they've got enough um, resources to make an interesting trade for the Orioles. I mean, suppose they went and traded the Orioles like one really good prospect, a position prospect. I'm throwing out the name of that catcher. Mejia, uh-huh. but but somebody at a different position, but but put together a, a trade that included maybe Ryan Merritt, the left-hander, and and Mike Clevenger, who pitched extremely well at the major league level last year. You know, all of a sudden, you know, Dan Duquette has to really weigh carefully what Manny's what value is better for his baseball team for 2018 and beyond. And I say it's tied to the fact that if they're not able to find pitching somewhere else, they're a lost cause with Machado, and they're a lost cause without Machado. Well, I agree with that. And again, you never know how the pitching staff's going to shake itself out, and that's the $64 million question in all of this, because once you get past Bundy and Gosman, then you're looking for different ways to fill out a rotation. Uh, You're not going to have your closer for the first uh, four months of the season. So, uh, and, and that was another thing we can ask Steve about, the whole idea of them, uh, uh, you know, coming to an agreement with Zach Britton yesterday when, you, you know, when the Orioles know that uh, he's not going to be available until at least the All-Star break. Uh, this is the Bat Around. Stan the Fan, Craig Heist here. Bonza Tufa, last uh, show. Um, I do, somebody asked a question or, like, made a statement on our live stream. Is this I Chris? I mentioned, yeah. He said, Extend Manny, Manny, trade Manny, or get some pitching to go with Manny. Okay. If there was one option out of those three, well, what do you think is most likely? What do I think is most likely? Well, I think what well, everybody would like to see is them extend Manny. Yeah. yeah. What, what I think needs to happen is they should trade Manny. <laughs> yeah, because they're not going to extend him. They're, right. they're not going to be able to pay Manny Machado. What, Manny is going to a larger market team, one of the more attractive you have teams to in think baseball. So. You, you would know. have to think so. Uh, now, the, the risk that a Diamondbacks and a, an Indians take is they can't really afford Manny Machado either, um, and you, you have to look at that. So both of those teams are saying, you know what, this is the year to go for it. And if you're going for it, uh, you know, I mean, I, what is the value of a World Series win to the Cleveland Indians you know, I think it's in, it's sort of incalculable of what it would mean to that franchise moving ahead. And let's not forget, they are, unlike the Orioles, they are in a better situation to accept draft pick compensation from Machado. If the Orioles, quote-unquote, only get draft pick compensation, that's a big loss for them. Sure. Yeah. Sure it is. I mean, you know, but I think, you know, if you're Dan Duquette, any deal that involves your third baseman at this point has to involve uh, at least a a pitching prospect that is almost a can't miss. Right. You know, so if you don't get that in return, at least that, then... Well, you see, that's why I say Merritt, if you look at Merritt's numbers, uh, and he pitched in the World Series two years ago against the Chicago Cubs. I think he started a game, or he started a game in the playoffs that year. His numbers were scintillating at AAA last year. And Mike Clevenger, while I wouldn't call his major league numbers scintillating, on the Orioles' 
starting rotation, they would look much better than Bundy's and much better than Gosman's. Um, now, I'm not claiming Clevenger's a number one. He's more like a number three, but he'd be very solid. They also have a young third baseman that they don't seem to want to make room for because of a little bit of concerns about his defense, a guy named Yandy Diaz. Yeah. Now, that might be an interesting deal. Diaz, Orioles control him for five years. Two pitchers that they control for four years. That might be an interesting starting point for a trade between the Orioles and the But Indians. I would have to have at least the assurance, and of course there are no assurances. Right. I would have to at least have the assurance from the baseball people right. about a prospect or prospects that come here that have legitimate opportunities to make it at the major league level. Yeah, well, I think all three of those people, Merritt, Clevenger, and Diaz, mm-hmm. really have a chance to be, you know, none of them are as good as Manny Machado. We're not saying right. that. But are the Orioles a better team making that trade? I, th- I, I think the argument is not so much are they a better team tomorrow, in, are they a better team next October Moving forward with a prospect third baseman who's better than anything they have in the minor leagues, save Mountcastle. But mm-hmm. Mountcastle's two years away. By that time, Diaz could be the designated hitter or something like right. that. Right. But the other part of this, too, is that from the Orioles' standpoint, uh, you're, you're, you, there's a lot of fans out there who want to see them just blow the thing up and start kind of like a Miami Marlins. Right, you know, and I don't. I don't see them. Doing I don't see that. that doing that with the ownership believing what they believe in. Right. Well, we'll see. Anyway, we are uh, starting the bat around. Uh, Want to welcome in a new sponsor to the program. You can see it on your Facebook live feed, Jerry Chevrolet, where it's about you. And isn't that the way our lives are? It's always about it's always us. It's about me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at Jerry Chevrolet, and you've accused me of that you. several times. At Jerry Chevrolet, it's about you. By the way, I don't want to get you upset on the air. Uh, very sorry to hear about your brother's passing. Uh, we talked about it last week. How are you doing, and how's his family doing? We're hanging in there. Uh, his memorial service is next Thursday, this coming Thursday, right at ten o'clock down in Glen Burnie, and. Uh, my brother Harold was. I know you were. He was very my dad. Close. He was my dad without being my dad, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and you know, just he was five years older than I am, and uh, we did a lot of things as kids, obviously together. And he was certainly my closest sibling. I have two older brothers, or had two older brothers beside Harold, right. who are deceased and have been for several years. And the only sibling I have left now is my sister, who's 70 and lives in Maine. Right, right, right. So, so he was your last real touchstone to your yeah, family. Yeah, to my yeah. family, yeah. Yeah, all so. right. Well, I'm sorry that you're going through this. Yes, all right. well, I appreciate it. All right. It's been uh, it's it's not good. been a good start to the year, no. let's put it and, that and way. And then losing Bonza next week. I mean, that's like not even yeah. close to losing that, a member of really your family. A, that's not no. really a loss at well, all. Well, there, there are wakes and there are wakes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hey, before we call Steve Molesky, yeah. just uh, real quick, this thing I started to talk about, Machado mm-hmm. signing for $16 million. Josh Donaldson got $23 million for one year yesterday in an agreement with the uh, Blue, Blue Jays. Jays. And that broke the arbitration oh. record set by Bryce Harper, who signed his... As His the, 18 contract last May. Last May. As he's the, getting 21 He's million. getting 21, but the Nationals decided, knowing that Harper is in the same boat as Machado is in, right. they were going to try to 
to be proactive on that and and see if they can't get the ball rolling a little bit. But of course, there's a difference in the two organizations in that Scott Burris is is very close to the Nats. And no question that about kind of it. Thing. No question about it. What's interesting about Donaldson now? I knew Donaldson's major league experience wasn't that far greater than Machado's, but I didn't realize until yesterday. I mean, I knew Donaldson was older. Donaldson is 32 years old now. Yeah. And Machado and Harper are both 25 now, so there's a difference there. What does this say about Donaldson's, what we were talking about, Jay Bruce? Now, granted, Donaldson's a far superior offensive talent. Yeah. I think he has a hard time getting more than four years. I think a team, and that's why he could end up staying in Toronto they give him a higher average yearly and in amount. This, and in this environment, what we were just talking about, I can certainly see that, having trouble getting more than three years, really, to be yeah. honest with you. But I think his number is going to be close to $30 million a year. Yeah. He could get a three-year, $90 million contract from the Blue Jays, and I don't know that you want to turn that down and, and take the risk of going into free agency. Suppose he blows out a knee this year. At 32, right. his contract could could tumble dramatically. And then I got to thinking about the price. You know, Donaldson, 23. Right. Manny decides to sign for $16 million. Right. Well, Manny's got every reason to kind of fling the bat down to third base <laughs> now toward Donaldson. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Their, their, their brouhaha was over the um, – And that was when McDonald it, touched – tagged him right, pretty in, hard. When he was in Oakland, yeah. Yeah, and Manny was just getting over the first of his knee surgeries. Right. And he took offense to that. All right. Um, are we going to make – we're going to make our contact with Steve Molesky of Madison Sports. We'll talk to him about the uh, slow-moving Orioles ship of state in this offseason. Again, I think spring training opens the 13th. Pitchers, of, uh, catchers, fed, pitchers, yeah. catchers, the 13th. And I think the, the 19th or 18th or 19th right. for position players. And it's unbelievable now, Craig. They get down there to position players. Mm-hmm. They're playing games within four or five days now. There's well, not yeah. like 10, 12 well, days. Well, and also the season's been moved season's up. Season's moving up to uh, the to, 29th to, of to, March. To the last week of March, and a lot of that has to do with, uh, number one, the way the calendar falls. Number two, the fact that they want to try to give – uh, teams more days off during Correct. the course of the year. Correct. That's the larger issue. And I have, I have one very important question to ask right off the bat to our first guest. Okay. And well, that's Steve Molesky. He's not, he's not on, on Oh, he's not, not online Something. Yet. They may have had a phone issue or something. Bonza gave me the – is he now on? All, All right. right. Now you can direct your question to Steve Molesky. All right, of MassInSports.com. Good morning, Steve. How are you? What's up, fellas? Not much. I told Stan I had one very important question to ask you right off the bat. How was Vegas? <laughs> oh, man. Sensational. Can, can we do a whole segment or not? <laughs> yeah, a couple of them probably. Did you did you earn enough to uh, to uh, uh, augment your Masson stipend? Uh, no. no. That, 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 that part doesn't work. That would be a it, negative. Doesn't it suck when you have to come back to work then? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was fantastic. I saw a hockey game out there, and let me tell you, it's, um, hockey has taken that city by storm. Yes, it I has. I saw the game of the year, really, in the NHL because, um, as you guys know, their expansion team that's supposed to be terrible, it's great. And that night they hosted Tampa, which has the best record in the league. They fell behind wow. two to nothing, 
and they beat them four to three on a goal with two seconds to go. Ooh, what a game! And what's the what's the size of the crowd there? And it's a solid. Uh, sell out pretty much eighteen thousand every night. Right. <clears throat> T-Mobile Arena is fantastic, um, and you know the place rock for three hours, and then. When they win, they play Viva Las Vegas, and everybody sings and dances. <laughs> that's great. Pretty cool. That's great. You know, that's an amazing side business story that the Army is suing the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights over the use of the name Golden Knights. Wow. I yeah. did not know that. I know. It's, it's kind of ridiculous point. because they're the Black Knights. Right. Their, uh, their, parachute, parachute, their team parachute team is called the Golden Knights. There's absolutely – I'll tell you why I think this gets thrown out with all due respect to the U.S. Army – is that there really is one of the largest issues in trademark infringement is confusion in the marketplace. And the, the Las Vegas Golden Knights said they have not had one fan come to them complaining that they thought they were coming to see the Army parachuting team. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's a frivolous lawsuit. It really I don't does, know what I don't they're know. trying to achieve with it or something, but the uh, owner uh, is a... Is a uh, graduate of uh, West, West Point. Point, right? and right. he's trying to honor them, um, and they already said we're not going to use Black Knights, because that's you guys, and so uh, kind of crazy. It really is. Uh, Steve Molesky joins us. Uh, the Orioles took care. I know it's been a slow boat to China, or a slow boat to Sarasota, but uh, they did take care of some important business yesterday, uh, inking a couple players. Uh, clue us in. I mean, you know, we knew uh, the arbitration is confusing, I think, to some fans. It's, it's, uh, all it is is a process by which the seven players who are arbitration eligible find out what their salary is going to be for the year. We already knew they're under contract. We just don't have the final figure. And so now they have it for five of the seven. And the other two could go to hearings next month or – they have up until the hearing to settle, and they probably will. Who's a, who are those last two? Uh, they have Gosman and um, Jonathan Scope. And Scope. Scope. Yeah. And Scope, uh, Bob Nightingale reported last night that Scope had filed at $9 million where the club was offering seven, seven and a half. Seven and a half million, yeah. Okay. Yeah, here's a fancy thought. Settle in the middle, which is about what they usually do. So yeah, that's probably yeah. where it'll wind up. Uh, let's, let's tackle uh, one of the – to me, one of the more important things, because I think the Machado boat has sailed, whether they're able to trade him uh, before, during, or, or some way, shape, or form, uh, trade him. I think we know that Machado will not be with the Baltimore Orioles in 2019, barring some really change of heart on both sides. Um what are they going to do, uh, Steve, about Jonathan Scope? Much more signable much more in front of that issue. Do you think they take a real calculated gamble, or not gamble, but a, a proactive move this spring and try and lock him up for six years? I mean, I would. It's um, because uh, he he's the keeper, as we know, and he's not going to cost $300 million. In fact, I did a blog where I kind of projected – you know, giving them raises for each of the next four years, and that really only adds up to sixty million, or five years could be eighty, something like that. Right. And that's in the ballpark. I mean, it may not be those exact figures; it could be a little more, a little less. But he's not getting five years, one hundred and twenty million, or anything like that. 
uh, and he's not going to settle for five years and fifty million. They know about where it'll probably go, projecting out, and then. Can, uh, can I know, interrupt he, you for one second, Steve? We mm-hmm. we kind of know that, except for one thing. If you look at the improvement from sixteen to seventeen, and let's just say this year he hits thirty-eight home runs, knocks in hundred and sixteen runs, and hits two ninety-five to three hundred. Then aren't we talking about a hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy-five million uh, dollar player? Do that you might be, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, the risk the Orioles take would be he could do that, and it cost him more. The risk scope was take is he would fall back a step and right. he wouldn't get offered that. So um, I, that's you know. why I think that it makes perfect sense. He also could tail off and hit twenty six home runs and knock in eighty five runs. But I think the, the 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 real thing to do is grab that middle territory there and make him a very wealthy man and you know somebody who changes his life by the signing of one contract. Well, and you know he's he's just a great kid, and he's a great, great. one to keep around. And yep. he could play shortstop. He could play third if they needed him to. He's a very good second baseman, as we know, and they love having him there. So, um, a lot of ways to go here. All right, before I, and obviously Manny is the number one and hot topic amongst Oriole fans. But when you with Manny or without Manny going forward, uh, they still have to fix this pitching staff and. You know, once you get past Bundy and Gosman, then everybody's kind of looking for answers. How do you see uh, what is currently on this roster and what they may be able to do supplementing it by any kind of free agency? Well, I'm sure they're going to – I say I'm sure. I feel certain they're going to add some, a pitcher or a couple pitchers. Just having said that, we don't know whether that means Lance Lynn or Cobb. We don't think so. The tea leaves say no. Uh, does it mean Kashner, Vargas, that ilk? Probably. And so, uh, at that point, if you're potentially going to lose Manny or trade him, the team may look very different in 2019. Do you really want to start tying up these long-term deals? Uh, you're really in a, in a tough spot here, but if you can get guys like Kashner on short deals... He, if he pitched like he did last year, would be a great addition. If he pitched like he did two or three years ago, he would be less than that. Let me throw out one name to you, and it's more a concept than tied to one name. Is We know Bundy and Gosman health, uh, you know, keeping our fingers crossed that they're healthy. They're going to start games, and, you know, a good bit of the time they'll go six-plus innings. Um, but... But then you, if let's say say Castro and Wright, let's just say they they hit a home run and the two of them are in the rotation and pitching well, wouldn't it make sense to get a guy? And I I know you're gonna hee haw at it at, at, on on the face of it, like Bud Norris, not necessarily to recapture a starting role, but to be a guy when these guys even if they're pitching well, I'm telling you right now, Wright and Castro, their pitch counts are going to be such where they're going to get out of games a lot in the fifth and sixth innings. And Bud Norris would be an interesting guy. I think he's – I'm not saying he's a great guy, but I think he's probably evolved and allowed himself to touch base with reality of what his true worth is 
Couldn't a guy like that, and again, not tied to the one name, but getting a veteran or two that could pitch in relief, but but counting on them to pitch more innings in relief? Well, I mean, multi-inning relievers have become much more important because... And, and, yet, and yet, Steve, with a guy like Norris, you're probably looking at $3 million. You know, and if you're saving money by having Castro and Wright in the rotation... It just seems like it would make sense to round out the the rest of the the pitching staff with a couple of these veterans. I mean, it might be something they look at. They certainly have a whole host of guys on the roster who could be multi-inning relievers from everywhere, from uh, Chris Lee to Chris Kelly they've acquired, to Yakabonis to Crichton. I mean, they've just got names on top of names that... The difference is that those guys are 500,000 guys and they have no track record of being successful in the major leagues. A guy like Norris, and again, I'm using that name because he's the one that popped into my head this morning, but he seems like he could pitch a a mid-three ERA and give you 100 innings in relief. I mean, if he could, that'd be a great $3 million investment. Yeah. Uh, If you you knew you could get, I mean, 100 – Innings three ERA for three million. Yep. any team would take that right. uh, if you could promise that would be the case. In terms of uh, anything uh, deal wise between now and that's the other thing I wanted to to ask you about because Stan and I were talking about it. And I said, you know, I want to get some input from you, and we're going to have Mark Zuckerman on a little later on. Just from an entire free agency standpoint, Steve. Why is it taking so long for, in in your opinion, uh, for, for any kind of activity to, to get started? Not I mean, just with the Orioles, but with everything. A whole lot of potential reasons, but near the top of the list to me seem to be that these big spending teams are trying to get under this revenue-sharing threshold, and uh, they're just not spending big. Uh, and then you have so many top names controlled by Boris this year, and he's never quick to act. He, I mean, I won't say never. He, he doesn't worry about that. He'll, he'll wait it out. Uh, he doesn't, he's not, no reason for him to panic. He's, he's sitting on money on top of money. You know, he, he's, he's just going to wait it out, and he usually gets what he wants. Uh, look at the, the offers that Hosmer has been said to be getting. Right. So, you know, um, there was a signing or two this week. It's trickling in right now, but it just can't keep at this slow pace. It's got to pick up. By the way, uh, getting back to Bud Norris, last year my numbers are probably a little bit skewed high. He threw 62 innings but got 19 saves with the Angels last year. And those 62 innings struck out 74 batters. But, again, his ERA was 4.21, not 3.5. And his ratio whip was one one point three three, but those numbers would look pretty good in in my opinion in some of those middle innings. And again, I'm just saying that that's the type of guy I think the Orioles have to look at if they're not willing to pay on the high end of the scale for starting pitching and they want to go low end starting. One of the things about low end starters is they're not going to pitch seven or eight innings; they're going to pitch five and six innings. Uh, one other topic I'd like to move on to, um, Steve, before we uh, get you out of here, is this the other the flip side of the Machado thing. If he's here, when you go down to spring training, do you expect to see Manny Machado playing third base 
or do you think the Orioles will play him at shortstop? And if so, what happens to Tim Beckham? You know, I think they're going to switch. That's just guess. Um, Manny clearly seems to want to play short. I think Buck is okay with it. And Buck, at the winter meetings, hinted, you know, could it, could it hurt his offense? Well, sometimes uh, he, it energizes guys. And so that was a message that maybe, um, you know, I just think he's leaning that way. The tea leaves say that. He says he knows what he's going to do. He's pretty sure. He's just not ready to say it. And, and that is probably linked to the uncertainty whether he'll even be on the team. I don't think Buck wants to come out and make a proclamation, man, he's my shortstop. A week later, they're trading him. Right. And then he said, calls back, I'm like, hey, Tim, remember with that conversation? <laughs> uh, forget all That's that. A good You're point. That's a good again. point. Yeah, it's a good point. So, so what happens to Beckham? Let's say the season started tomorrow and Machado's at, at short. He's, I mean, look at him at third. I mean, okay. no reason not to. Um, you know, Manny is long-term going to be a shortstop. I'm, I'm convinced he can do it. And people say he won't be elite like he is at third, but he'll be above average. And he may be well above average uh, given time and experience over there. Uh, he just has the, the, you know, the arm. And I wrote a blog that shows that you get 200 and plus or 300 more chances short shortstop over third. And wouldn't you want your best player handling the ball defensively two or three hundred more times? So it's just a it's a premium defensive position to have a big bat, and it's the way the game is going. These Carlos Correas and guys like that, uh, you know, who are shortstop who can really hit the ball, and I think Manny will eventually find his way there. That doesn't mean this year; could mean a couple years down the road. But I think he's headed there. Okay, I go on the record as saying I think he belongs at third base for the Orioles 100%. I think it's foolish to to move him to somehow make him happy in his last year. But more importantly, I'm going to I'm going to and I respect your knowledge, Steve. I think those knees become a little bit more problematic at a position that you got to move laterally as much as he does at short and I think the arm, believe it or not, gets him into a little bit more trouble at short because he'll get to some balls and then the planning on the knees. And I just, I'm telling you, I think long-term he's making a mistake by trying to force the issue. Well, I mean, he could. I mean, the other thing is it's a gamble and for him in that if he is erratic at shortstop and he eliminates that in the minds of some of his future suitors, that doesn't help his uh, I hear you. I hear marketability. You. If he has a so-so year defensively at shortstop and all these teams with all the money go, boy, I thought he could play there, but now I'm not sure. I mean, that he runs that risk as well. Well, I'm, I'm in agreement with Stan in terms of the whole concept as far as Manny goes, but the other thing that I, I look at it is if this were two years earlier in right. his career, this may be more viable for Manny, but he's he's made such a name for himself as one of the best, if not the best, defensive third baseman in the game. Yeah, I don't know if, why if you're Manny Machado, you would want to mess with that. Yep, I. Uh, I mean, he was well, it was his position all his life, so I think he's yeah. always been that. But and he didn't have two knee surgeries in his earlier life. Something you know. to think about. Yeah. I mean, I just saw him before the surgery. I know the minors. that. Yeah. 
play the hell out of shortstop, and I, I've got that memory of watching him going, man, this kid can really pick it. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, Bonzatufa, on his last show, a Towson graduate, has a question for you about uh, your, um, you know, your former university. Steve, how you doing, man? Hey, man, congrats to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, You know I got to ask you a Towson question. You know I have to. Um, You know about Pat Scary getting the long-time extension. What do you think about that? Well-deserved? Well-deserved. You know, they had a rough road trip, and uh, the the Towson Tigers men's basketball team is really talented. Uh, And I think, and I've watched almost every game between the internet and in person, seen several, that they still have a chance to be really good. That was a crushing loss the other night. That they were beating the buzzer. And they're playing the best team in the league today. William and Mary's been off the great start, so we'll mm-hmm. see. But they really have to make the extra pass on offense. When they're unselfish, they're yep. usually really good. Mm-hmm. And and they also have to be smart with the ball, which they haven't been in every possession recently. But back to Scary, he's a he's – a, they went from a coach who was terrible, Pat Kennedy, to a guy who's been great, and he's made a long-term commitment to the school and then to him. And, uh, you know, I think he has a kid with autism, as we know, yep. mm-hmm. and that's near and dear to him, and this is a great place for his family. I think his family loves it here, from what I'm told, and I, I think he's a great guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit, and I think he will get Towson to the NCAA tournament. I hope this is a year, but if it isn't, uh, he's building a program that I think can be good for many years, and that, as a fan, that's what you want to see. Mm-hmm. Because with football, we got to the mountaintop, and we now we're slid back a little bit, yeah, mediocre we're kind of in the valley. So you really want to be try to be good every year, and he's been doing that. Well, if they lose today, they've got no excuse because how does two people beat a whole team? William, I know, <laughs> right? Exactly. I know. It's like a two-man rotation. You need more. Yeah, it's kind of like Bonza's next place of employment. Two people, <laughs> oh, Washington and Lee. Hey, um, have you gotten to meet one last Towson question? Have you gotten to meet the new baseball coach Matt Tyner and your thoughts about him? No, I haven't. Just hear good things. Yeah, and... we had him on the TV show about three months ago. I think it was very good guy. Very interesting guy. Uh, there's a lot of good things going on at Towson right now. I think Tim Leonard, AD, who's been there a couple of years, is is doing a good job. And we got to get football back going, which I think Rob will. And you know that that arena. I, I would tell any local fan, um, take ten bucks, and go to a game at CQ, and you'll yep. you'll love it. It's an incredible great, arena. Great arena. Yep. Uh, you don't have to be in twenty thousand seats to be in a beautiful arena because we don't have twenty thousand. But it's fantastic, and the CAA is a really good league. And it's a good uh, game today at four. Good Thursday game today, night. right? Four o'clock today. They play on the road today. Oh, William road Mary. Today. Next home game is Thursday night at seven. Okay. All right, Steve. Many thanks for joining us. Um, appreciate the insights as always. You do a really fine job with MassInSports.com. You got it, fellas. Appreciate being with you today, and have a good one. All right. There you go, Steve Molesky. Trying to uh, confirm this, uh, but I just saw a Facebook uh, message from a friend of mine. Apparently, Keith Jackson has passed away. Okay. We'll try and confirm that. Mm -hmm. How old is Keith? 85? Uh, 84? I would have to probably think mid-80s, yeah. Yeah. One of the great voices of sports, no question about it. Lost a good one about three weeks ago in Dick Enberg. And uh, losing Keith Jackson on the heels of that would be a, a double whammy. Uh, 
Again, uh, Craig hasn't confirmed it yet, but receiving some talk and chatter on Facebook that uh, Keith Jackson, the great Keith Jackson, has passed away. We're going to take a timeout. When we get back on the batter round, uh, we will make our connections with my good friend Joe Shuda from Altoona, PA. Uh, Joe does a, a, a an audio vignette on the radio in, in Altoona and some other markets called the Two Minute Timeout. His most recent, one of his most recent stories was about the late great slugger who just passed away, Bob Bailey, mm-hmm. who was one of the early uh, bonus babies back in the 60s. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Joe Shuda from Two Minute Timeout right after our timeout. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can cater your holiday party, and now you can order the catering trays and delivery online. Go to Chick-fil-A.com and select Nottingham Square as your store and place your order. Did you know that Chick-fil-A offers the Grilled Chicken Bundle, a catering tray where everyone can build their own grilled chicken sandwich? Plus, Chick-fil-A offers chicken nugget catering trays with up to 200 nuggets per tray and chicken strip trays with up to 75 chicken strips. Call Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. You can pick it up or he'll bring it to you. That's 410-931-0031. The Paracel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Full Circle Tire and Auto would like to thank the Harford County Sheriff's Department and the Baltimore County and Baltimore City Police Departments. Any active or retired employee can receive 8.75% off up to $100 on any service. We are proud to serve you. Thank you for serving us. The deal lasts through January 31st, and that's Full Circle Tire and Auto at 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277 at 1304 Governor's Court, Suite 110 in Abingdon, Maryland. FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Great music, great food, and a great cause. For an even better time, just add water. Water from the Chesapeake Bay at Sandy Point State Park. My name is Michael Hoyt, and I am an athlete with Special Mix Maryland. Your support helps me achieve my dreams of being a greater part of my community through sports. Choose to plunge at the Maryland State Police Hobart Plunge on January 27th. Go to plungemd.com to sign up today. Proudly sponsored by New Day USA, St. John Properties, Aerotech, and Kelly Generators. And we are back with the batter round. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist and our uh, new board op, uh, producer of the show, Brittany Everett here, training under the watchful eye of Bonzatufa 
and keeping a legacy of Towson Tigers in this position. There you go. This has become an esteemed position in the broadcast world. All right. You know, for desperate young <laughs> for desperate right. young people looking for experience. Anyway, joining us now on the bat around is a guy I met about uh, I'm guessing three years ago. Is that correct, Joe Shuda? That is correct three years ago. In Bradenton, uh, Joe does in Pittsburgh and Altoona, sort of what Craig Heist does in Washington and Baltimore, uh, does a lot of radio stuff and uh, has evolved into doing something that's really a neat radio vignette called the two-minute timeout. And, uh, Joe, I'm not sure if you did a two-minute timeout recently, but you let me know that Bob Bailey, a one-time bonus baby with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And when I say bonus baby, I'm dating myself and dating you. Uh, that's in the early 60s. I think he got $175,000 to sign with the Pirates, but he's passed away. That's correct. I interviewed uh, Bob about uh, four years ago. And interesting story is that the bonus baby comes from something called a bonus rule. Uh, before World War II, players uh, would be signed by teams, whoever would offer the most amount of money. And they came up with this idea of the bonus rule in 1947, and it actually went from 1947 to 65 when the amateur draft started. The interesting thing was that from 1947 up through 58, if you signed somebody, and normally they were signed right out of high school, they had to be on a major league roster for two years. Now, what was interesting was that Bob Bailey was in a period in 61 when he was signed the day after he graduated from high school where they, they suspended that rule for a while. It, it was They started again in 62 where you had to be on the roster uh, for one year. But Bob Bailey mentioned to me the fact that imagine you're, you're 18 or 19 years old, you're given $175,000. Meanwhile, you have players in the majors who are making, you know, maybe – six or seven, right? and then you have to be on the roster. And the resentment was incredible and because you're taking a job from somebody. That's a really interesting topic. My co-host, uh, Craig Heist, was working on getting the fan in here uh, turned on. Uh, that's, that's fascinating. With the old bonus baby rule, when you signed, you had to stay in the major leagues. And what uh, Joe was <laughs> kind of like a Rule Five guy, <laughs> uh, very similar. But the difference right. was that uh, back in early '60s, guys might have been making six, seven, eight grand, and you got this young kid, 19 years old, got 175 grand. They have to stay on a major league roster. Yeah, very interesting. And uh, in terms of what we see sometimes today. With the Rule 5 guys, yeah. and I'm not saying because there's money, obviously, involved in this. Oh, sure. But, you know, that's it, it's a very fascinating thing with the with, with the bonus baby type thing. You know, it's, and it's not such a shocker that, that Bob's best years, I mean, he never really lived up to those that hype as a Pittsburgh Pirate. It wasn't until he ended up in Montreal uh, in the middle of his career that he really began to establish himself as a really productive major leaguer. Yeah, interesting. He the expansion draft. He was not even chosen. Yep. The Padres and the Expos uh, were involved in that, and he was actually sold to the Expos. He was he got the first hit for the Montreal Expos. Let me mention another interesting uh, thing about the the bonus rule. Every player signed during this bonus rule time was Caucasian, except for one player, and that was Willie Crawford. 
And and of all the players signed, and there were a lot of nobodies who were signed, only four of those players uh, made the Hall of Fame, and that was Killebrew, K-Line, Koufax, and Catfish Hunter. By the way, Tony LaRusso was also a bonus baby. I did remember Tony LaRusso with the Kansas City Athletics, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right, we're talking with Joe Shooter. Joe, uh, Bob Bailey uh, passes away, had a 16, I think a 16-year Major League career. But 17, let's, yeah, 17, 17 years. 17 years. Let's move on and talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, they, they seem to be making the news quite a bit, but almost in the, in the terms of they can't quite strike a deal uh, when it comes to Garrett Cole. Is your best guesstimate, and Cole signed yesterday, uh, his um, avoiding arbitration with the Pirates, but that doesn't mean he'll be with the Pirates. Do you think he'll suit up for Pittsburgh this year, or do you think he will get traded uh, before spring training or before opening day? Here's the problem. Deja vu. We went through this last year with Andrew McCutcheon. They, they, they try to trade Andrew McCutcheon. They tell him that you know if he doesn't get traded, that he's going to play right field because Starling Marquet is going to be the starting center fielder. They move McCutcheon to right field. They tell him that you know, he's getting a little too old. He's incensed about that, and he, he makes a comment in spring training. He says, hey, you know, I'm not 40 years old. I'm only 30 years old. Starting Marte plays about a week and a half, and we find out that uh, he winds up being suspended um, for steroids. Right. Uh, McCutcheon goes back to center field. And by the way, the year before, because of sabermetrics, they had – they told him he had to move in, play more shallow. Numerous balls went over his head. Of course, they blamed his getting older and losing his step for that. So we go through that whole, you know, ridiculous soap opera, and now we have the same thing again this year. And I thought it was funny that uh, Garrett Cole's wife uh, uh, posted on Twitter, uh, he said about the roller coaster ride. Oh, you're with the Astros, you're not. You're with the Yankees, you're not. And with the Pirates, and here's a line that came up uh, during the Pirates Fest. Uh, General Manager uh, Neil Huntington said, you know, we're, we're looking at, at, you know, going for the World Series this year, but maybe there's a window for us to move into next year. So they can't make their mind up what they want to do. You know, it's, you know, Stan, it's like, yeah, I'd like to be on your show, but I don't know if I want to be on your show. I might be on your show. I might not be on your show. So no one really knows. Yeah, but you know, in this day of social media, you, you, you have to deal with it. You have to suck it up and play. Right, exactly. Garrett Cole was very unhappy two years ago because of the fact that he felt that, uh, you know, that he w- he was only being paid about $550,000. And, you know, th- these guys, until they're arbitration eligible, that's just that's the way it goes. Yeah, that's the way it uh, goes. And, uh, I mean, I, obviously he's a California guy who doesn't want to be in Pittsburgh, but I can't, I can't see it. Neil Huntington has to win trades. And he, he doesn't feel that, well, the other team should benefit from it. So I, I don't see it happening, to be honest with you. You and I were talking – go ahead, Craig. No, I was going to say, and what happened to those days where teams would make deals – Yeah, they're supposed to be win-win deals. Win-win deals. Right. You know, one team helps the other team out. Well, Exactly. And that, that's part of it. Any kind of, you know, any kind of compromise involves, you know, I give something and you get something out of it and it works, it works both ways, but the Pirates just don't – don't want to do that. One of the things you and I were talking about off the air yesterday is you thought that the Pirates and the Orioles were sort of simpatico in in that they they just c- kind of can't get over the hump. 
They don't do the things necessary. I pointed out to you the large discrepancy in payroll between the two teams, but I think one thing we can agree on is that both teams had a window about three years ago where they could have dared to be great, and neither team sees that moment. Exactly. You know, the book Good to Great talks about the fact that there are a lot of good companies but very few great companies. And uh, you are 100% correct on that. They had the opportunity. You know, Clint Hurdle always talks about we're going all in. Right. And they yeah. had the chance. And perception is reality. And, and people look at the owner, Bob Nutting, and, and I just can't. I mean, the, the amount of expletives and the names given to Bob Nutting, you can't imagine, uh, <laughs> you know, what they are. People are just furious because this guy owns about 30 newspapers two ski resorts in Pennsylvania, and the joke is that, well, you know, we don't want to give these guys any extra money because it goes to the ski resorts. We've got to make extra snow this year. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, we're talking with Joe Shooter, two-minute timeout up in the Pittsburgh area. Joe, so I didn't get you, – you probably feel that Garrett Cole then will end up with the Pirates opening day. Is that correct? Right, because unless Neil Huntington feels he's getting this favorable trade in exchange for him, that that's what's going to. The same thing happened last year with Andrew McCutcheon. It's they just can't pull the trigger, and you know then so you've alienated this guy also. So yeah, I mean, I, I unless something happens, which we would be shocked because again, you know, you you know the best indicator of future behavior is past behavior, and look what happened last year with McCutcheon. And, you know, they still have two years left. So McCutcheon's value is less now because this is last year. He can be right. a free agent next year. Garrett Cole's got two years left. Uh, and, you know, after this year, same situation. What would they be looking for realistically in a deal for him? Well, they need outfield help for sure. They, they definitely need an outfield. Last year was just a complete fiasco. John Jaso uh, played because of the uh, suspension of Shawnee Marte. They had several guys in the outfield who were just not not outfielders. I mean, it was just un, un, it was like a, a beer league watching watching what was going on there. Um, they feel they have a lot of the, they've emphasized. They feel they have a lot of good arms. Uh, they'd obviously need another starting pitcher. They need a third baseman because uh, because of the the South Korean Gong, who is probably never going to get back into the United States. By the way, they never did anything last year with that. Yeah, they lost their starting center fielder. They lost their starting third baseman, and they and weren't they replaced. Nothing. Yeah, they weren't replaced. I mean, how, how do you lose two out of your starting, you know, eight offensive players, and make no move and say, "Well, what we have, we'll just push these guys into into that uh, position." Uh, let's move over to McCutcheon. Uh, do you think there's a greater possibility McCutcheon could be dealt before opening day this year because that's when his value is going to be the greatest? Or, again, you think Hunting, Huntington's desire to win out on a trade uh, is going to doom that as well? No, I think he, he's going to be with, with the Pirates because people, fans love Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, he's a great, by, by he's a great kid. He's a great kid. Oh, he's he's just absolutely tremendous. I mean, it's, the things he does in the community is unbelievable. Uh, you know, he accepted what happened last year. Now you only have a year left. And, of course, the Pirates brought up, you know, they brought up the fact that uh, he, he had lost a step and it was getting too old. So, you know, you degrade the guy. You right. try to trade him. You can't trade him. 
Uh, and then you say, well, he has one more year left. I mean, it's not going to work. I mean, they had their opportunity to do it. Now they had their opportunity to Garrett Cole. What happens if the guy is, you know, like 7-15 and 15 this year? Then you get nothing because he only has a year left. Interesting. It's laughable. It's laughable. I mean, it's just, you know, we had 20 years of losing in Pittsburgh, uh, and they, they had won 98 games in 2015. They drop off to 78. Last year, 75. What are we going back? We're going to have 18 more years after the past two. Right. You sound like a typical Orioles fan yeah, right now because say. we had 14 losing seasons, had about three seasons where we were really in contention, and we've receded away from the great to be less than very good. Obviously, last place finish in the American League East. Um, going into spring training, are there any prospects – uh, that people should really keep an eye on with the Pirates? No, that's the problem. Tyler Glasnow, who who was one of their top top picks, was just is lights out in AAA, but it's just unbelievable when when he when he pitches in a major league game. You know, you, we go through this guy gets knocked out in the second inning. He he was one of these guys they they had counted on. Uh, but really, there's the, the farm system. We were told several years ago it's just a tremendous farm system. And it's not. It absolutely is not. So, no, that, that's, that's the problem. They're just afraid to try to make a trade. You know, there's, and you keep saying, well, prospects. Jim Leland once said a prospect is somebody who's done nothing in the major leagues. Right, exactly. And uh, when, when you talk about a guy like McCutcheon and, and when, when you made the analogy that, you know, the similarity between what the Pirates are going through and, and now Orioles, what the Orioles yeah. are going through. I mean, you know, to me, McCutcheon is what Adam Jones is here in Baltimore. I mean, in right. terms of what he means yeah, to the, the leadership of the team, leadership yeah. of the team, what he means in the community. And uh, it's a shame. And that's one of the biggest problems I have with Major League Baseball uh, over the course of the last 20, 25 years. Yes, is how hard it is to how keep hard your- it is to keep your guys and your talent in your city. And it just obviously it's a sign of the times, but it doesn't mean you have to like it. <laughs> We're talking. But remember you have, you have six years in the minors, yeah. six years in the majors. So you control somebody for 12 years. That's, yep. that's true. Yeah. yeah. We're talking with Joe Shuda of two minute timeout in the Pittsburgh Altoona area. And also does some stuff here with some Baltimore sports as well. Uh, Joe, that, that situation at third base with Kong, I mean, I've read about it, but what is it? Now, he was able to get a visa to go play winter ball, and he just flamed out. So what's, what's the reason he was able to get to the Dominican Republic to play baseball, but he can't get back in the U.S. to play baseball? And I know it revolves around a DWI, his third uh, in, in Korea. Yeah, it was also a situation in Chicago uh, involving a woman uh, who was going to press charges on him, and then she sort of disappeared, uh, and the police couldn't find her. And, you know, what happened with that? Uh, the Pirates really didn't do their homework on this guy, so he went to the Dominican. The Pirates hoped that he would see some major league pitching there. He lost 11 pounds. Uh, to show you how inflexible this guy was, is that, you know, they, they do the whole bus ride thing. He was used to eating after the game. They play, shower, and jump on a bus and, you know, take a bag lunch or stop at a restaurant along the way, and Gog would not do that. 
and the guy wound up losing 11 pounds. He was just miserable there, and so they released him. Right. So here's a guy who's being given an opportunity to show maybe he can do it, and maybe they can get him back into the States, and he still can't adapt. Yeah. Sound, that sounds like a bad situation there. Uh, one yeah. thing one thing the Pirates have over about 27 or 28 other teams is the pitching coach, Ray Searage, uh, who's been a master at, you know, sort of helping pitchers rediscover themselves or evolve, if you will. Are there any pitchers in that ilk? And I'm really thinking of two ex-Orioles in the case of Wade Miley and Ubaldo Jimenez that seem like both price-wise and working with Searage would be almost perfect comeback candidates under Ray Searage. Yeah, yeah, there are some, but you know, we, we have Stephen Brault, you know, who was an Oriole. He was an Oriole, yep. Yeah. And who in the really famous, spent, in the famous Travis Snyder trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, tra- the, the Travis Snyder trade. But I'm uh, talking more about how, of- I'm talking more about how he helped AJ Burnett, how he helped Ivan Nova. Uh, Jay Happ, uh, you know, I mean, there's five or six other guys' names that come to mind that he has helped, uh, veteran pitchers, not prospects. Uh, I'm wondering if the Pirates are in line for any free agent help on the pitching side of things. Well, again, if they're cheap. Yeah. And that's, that, well, I'm that's imagining, the problem. I'm imagining Miley and New Jimenez, they don't come much cheaper than them. They were two of the worst pitchers in Major League Baseball last year. But we've heard this for years that we have all of these prospects, and they have you know got guys like Brault and Glasnow, and uh, it, it's it's just it's frustrating. And you know, take the fact that you know we were told that uh, you know a partially financed uh, new stadium, which is a beautiful stadium in Pittsburgh, of uh, taxpayers' money, and we're going to put more money into the team, and uh, we just don't do it. You know, we we go to the, to the garbage dump and. Uh, bring guys in. I agree with you completely. You know, he reminds me a lot of what Ray Miller did with the Pirates yep. and who went with the Orioles. Yeah. Boy, that sounds like how I try and run the bat around. I just go to the garbage uh, dump to get my talent. Joe, hey, and, 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 and that then, was a joke. And, and, that was a joke. Craig's sitting here going, he really thinks I'm a piece of garbage. No, and of course, the three of us will now get up and walk out of the studio. <laughs> But Joe will stay with me. Yeah, Joe yeah. will stay with me. <laughs> hey, Joe, many thanks for being on. I urge our listeners uh, or folks watching on Facebook Live to go to twominutetimeout.com. That's with the number two, right? Right, exactly. And, and one quick thing coming yep. up here in about a week and a half, Rick Volk, who, of course, played in Super Bowl three, talks about Joe Namath and the mm. fact that the Colts fought what a joke this game is. I mean, how could you not beat this AFL team? Right. You know, are you kidding me? You know, the, the New York Jets, uh, what an easy game this is going to be, like a scrimmage. And we all know that ended vastly different than we thought it would here in Baltimore. It, cer- it certainly right. did, and it, and it, changed, it changed the NFL. All right, twominutetimeout.com is the way you can hear Joe Shooter. Joe, we'll catch you once the season starts on some pirate issues, Okay. Hey, thank you very much. Hey, Thanks, Joe, guys. Joe, take it easy, and we but just to let you know, we're taking the phone with us, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. yeah, out in the dumpster. Hey, hey, the dumpster doesn't include the guests of the show, <laughs> just the co-host. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Stay thank, warm. Thank you, Joe. And you we too. can, Bye now. We can right. confirm uh, Keith Jackson did die last night.
at the age of 89, I believe. Wow. So. Did not realize he was 89. 89. So he, he announced game big-time games until like 85, 86. Somewhere in there, yeah. About he, three or four he, years yeah. ago. And then he decided uh, he decided to walk away. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. All right. We're uh, not going to take a timeout. We are going to move right on to catching up with Mark Zuckerman. Right. Of, of MassinSports.com. Masson right. Not to be confused with Mark Zuckerberg, <clears throat> right. which I have done in the past. Well, you would be surprised how many emails or text messages <laughs> he gets about that Facebook. Mark gets about, about, face- about that. Exactly. Facebook. Exactly. You know, hey, you should do this with Facebook. Right. Anyway, uh, uh, Mark uh, does a really good job. He's kind of like the rock. Nobody's l- exactly like Rock Kabatko. But, and we're better people and for we're better it. people for that. <laughs> but seriously, Mark Zuckerman does a terrific job as beat reporter for Mass and Sports on the Nats side. Right. Who did he work for prior? Washington Times. And then he didn't he do his own he thing for a couple own, years? Uh, yes, yeah, to indeed. keep it alive. Yeah. Keep it alive and kept the name alive, and then he got the shot uh, with uh, Masson. All right, why don't you introduce him? All right, from MassonSports.com, covers the Nationals, beat writer, and he is Mark Zuckerman. Mark, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, let's talk about the Nationals very quickly in terms of yesterday and the activity. They wind up getting uh, three of their main guys uh, signed, uh, being arbitration eligible. Uh, Tanner Roark, uh, Anthony Rendon, and also Michael A. Taylor. Uh, the Rendon signing, that's a pretty pretty hefty raise for Anthony. Uh, yeah, $12 million after making five and some change last year, and uh, I don't think anyone's going to dispute that he's not worth it because yeah. he had a phenomenal season for them and continues to really um, elevate himself into one of, if not the best, all-around third baseman in baseball. And that's some high praise because there are some outstanding third basemen in the game right now, and he stands right there with all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Marcus. He, doesn't get the, he doesn't get the attention you know, that a lot of the other guys on this team do, and part of that is by his own design because he doesn't seek the attention, but um, I think more and more around baseball, people are recognizing just how good Anthony Rendon is. Hey, Mark, I don't, I don't get, and thanks for doing the show today. We really appreciate getting the insights because we try and keep our fans up to uh, date with national comings and goings. Uh, I don't see the Nationals as often as you or Craig, but I do see them enough, and it seems like Rendon, aside from the number, the pure numbers he, he's put up, that he has now evolved into a more or less a leadership role on that team. I mean, he's not Ryan Zimmerman, but it seems like he's one of the leaders on this team. And with Jason Worth gone, that may be even more important than than it was before. Well, I think on the field stand, yes. Yeah. Um, he, he is a, a guy that uh, they turn to and that they count on to lead. Now, in the clubhouse, that's not his personality. Yep. Um, and I don't know that's ever going to be just it's just not the way that he operates. But that's fine. You don't need to be that guy. Um, what he does is he's a guy that you know every single day he's going to take the field. He doesn't ask for days off. Um, you know, he plays the game. It, it's funny because at times, if there's ever a criticism of him, it can appear at times that he's a little lackadaisical out there. But really, that's just who he is. That's his... Uh, personality and it works for him because he's so loose and carefree that he doesn't ever get caught up in the moment and uh, doesn't panic and doesn't show any of those kind of signs but every once in a while some people will question if he doesn't care enough or doesn't play the game hard enough and 
uh, truth be told, he actually does. It's just he makes it look so easy, and he's found a balance there of being able to be loose and carefree, and that actually brings out the best in him. Uh, it may not be the kind of thing that everyone can do, but it certainly works for him, and it, it really does make him into a consistently elite ball player. Mark, let me ask you about uh, uh, Michael A. Taylor from this standpoint. Uh, you, we, we saw him last year at the beginning of the year. He winds up getting hurt. But then when he came back, uh, Dusty Baker at that time, manager of the Nationals, told him, look, you've had several opportunities to, to, to pull out the talent that everybody knows you have. And this is another opportunity. Don't mess it up. And really, he didn't. He took the bull by the horns and had a great year for the Nationals. And, and you know, one of the main cogs of this team uh, out plays great center field, uh, really came into his own offensively last year. Uh, what do you think, you know, flipped the switch for him last year? I think it was well, a couple of things. One, the fact that the team still trusted him and gave him the opportunity. He had had chances each of the previous two years to become the starting center fielder because somebody else got hurt, and in each case he wasn't able to uh, to seize those opportunities. And you got to that point last year where uh, when Adam Eaton went down, all of a sudden they needed a center fielder again, and I, there were plenty of people, and I'll admit myself included, that questioned whether Taylor was really deserved a third opportunity for that. And... The fact that the team stood by him, he had a, um, a big uh, supporter in Dusty Baker in particular, I think that went a long way to help his confidence. Uh, so that was number one. And then number two, what he really did last year, and we've seen it from some other guys in the past, Wilson Ramos is the one that I think of the most in this regard, is that here's a guy who was a free swinger uh, throughout his career up to this point, a guy who the book was pretty clear you throw him breaking balls down and away, and he's going to chase. You don't have to throw him pitch over the plate. But what he did is, number one, he started finally having the patience to take those pitches that were off the plate. And then number two, the pitches that were on the corner or just off or you know, a little on the outside, he figured out the most important thing for so many young hitters. Don't try to pull it. Hit it back up the middle. And mm-hmm. he, so many of his big hits last year, were doubles and even home runs to center field and right center field. Think about the grand slam at Wrigley Field in the playoffs ah. to right center field. Um, that was kind of Michael A. Taylor's season encapsulated right there. Anybody, any hitter who can figure out that, making that leap and can be able to do that, I think that shows a, a great sign of maturity and progression as a hitter, the kind of thing that should sustain itself and not just be a one-year fluke. That home run thing was uh, from Taylor in that series was one of the great – uh, moments for the Nationals because that was a rainy day, the wind was blowing in, and who knew that, that he had enough power to get that thing out to right field? Yeah, none of us there thought, I think it even included everyone in the dugout, they had the same thought when the ball went in the air, oh, that's going to be caught probably at the warning track, and it just kept going, yeah. and it cleared just enough to get there. And I mean, I know the team wound up you know, losing in the series, and there's a lot of heartbreak there and a lot of questions about the team after it, but on a personal level for Michael A. Taylor, that that was a huge moment, and the series was huge for him because he had a fantastic series 
Um, and that's only going to help him coming into this next season, the confidence that he gained from really rising to the occasion in those big moments. We're talking with Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. He does a super job covering the Washington Nationals. Obviously, uh, Mark, the biggest change on the Nationals for the 2018 season from the past couple is that Dusty Baker is out. Dave Martinez has been in. What is your early read on Martinez and how comfortable he's going to be in this role? He's wanted a manager's job for a long time, and now he's got one. Yeah, you know, Stan, he's said all the right things so far. He's, every opportunity that he's had, um, you know, he's gotten positive reviews. Uh, but it, it really is going to boil down to once, first of all, he's down there in West Palm Beach on the practice field with these guys. That's when you really get to know them when they start to get a sense of what kind of manager he's going to be. That's going to be number one. And then the other thing, and there's no way to practice for this, is once you get into the season, and once you face some adversity, whatever it is, it's always going to be something, whether it's a problem with the bullpen or discord within the clubhouse or something involving the lineup or injuries, whatever it is, it's going to happen. That's when you find out really what a manager is made of and how he's able to keep the team together, not when things are going well, but when things are going poorly. And that's going to be the test for him. I mean, look, he's had plenty of training for this, uh, 10 years serving under Joe Madden in Tampa Bay and Chicago. The other thing I like about him is that, you know, there's obviously there's so much pressure on the Nationals, especially this year, given that Harper and Murphy are free agents and the history of uh, them in the playoffs here the last few years. But think about where Dave Martinez just came from, a place that had the ultimate pressure on it two years ago to break the longest curse in sports history and what were the Cubs good at when it came to that whole thing? They embraced it. They didn't yeah. shy away from that. And Dave has talked about that uh, same thing as it pertains to the Nationals. It doesn't do any good to sort of ignore the big elephant in the room. They all know what the history of the Nationals is. They all know how much is at stake this year. It's okay to embrace that. Uh, you know, you don't want it to consume you, but it's okay to understand that that's what the overriding theme is, and now you go out and just go play your best and try to overcome that, and it's sort of a common goal for all of them. So uh, we'll see how that manifests itself once he's out there with the players, but I do think he has the right mental approach to all this. At what point do you think that changed, Mark, last year? Because in the playoffs, we're talking with Mike Rizzo down on the field, and he's talking about Dusty getting an extension, and they're working on it, and then all of a sudden they lose game five, and before you know it, it's the, 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 the mantra's changed, not that – Every team doesn't want to win a World Series or try to win a World Series, but then all of a sudden it's well, just getting there isn't good enough anymore. We got to, we you know, we've got to win the World Series. It's not good enough if we don't. Yeah, it, I don't know that you can necessarily point to one moment. Although I, mean, I think it's fair to question that if they had won Game Five in advance, would Dusty Baker still be the manager of this team? Um, I don't think that's fair that that would have determined it because there's so much else involved in a team's success, or you know, you're going to boil it down to one game uh, in which a whole lot of things went wrong, most of them not really involved with the manager. But I think the key point, and I've said it before, is we have to be careful not to look at this as what Rizzo was saying throughout the season and think of this more as an ownership decision, because mm -hmm. I really do believe that it was. Uh, I believe that Mike Rizzo endorsed bringing Dusty Baker back, I think ownership, and particularly Ted Lerner at the top, 
um, felt that Dusty had gotten two opportunities, that there were some things that had gone wrong, especially in the playoffs, uh, the way that the would Strasburg start game four or not, the way that was handled in that press conference, different managerial decisions along the way. I think they just looked at that and said, can we do better? And at least among the people who mattered the most, who ultimately had to, to make the decision, they felt like they could do better. And I think the other part of all this, and I wrote about this at the time, was if Dusty had been on a three-year contract all along, if he had another year to go, I think they'd probably retain him. I don't think yeah. they're going to eat a year of, of salary. Uh, but because his contract was up and because Great point. Yeah. they yeah. weren't going to, at that point, give him now a two-year extension, because let's say the same thing happens again in 2018. Well, now you've had three straight years. You're going to give him a fourth chance. Right. Yeah. So I, really, this to me, it, it goes all the way back to the fact they only gave him a two-year contract to begin with, something they had done with every previous manager. And now, finally, for the first time, really under pressure because the rest of the baseball world uh, does it Does this it way. this way, yeah. yeah. Yep, they finally gave Dave Martinez three years, a guy who has no experience, when they wouldn't give him for Dusty Baker. But I do believe if they had just followed the industry convention, at the beginning, they'd have given Dusty yeah. Baker three years. He's probably still around now. That's well, a, they they give Mar- they give a great point. Yeah, Mark. it is, and they yeah. give Martinez three years. But we also see at what money, and that also tells you what do you get ten, for or is it more? What, what did he get for no, the three it's years? About, no, uh, it's about two million in total. Two million so. total. Two million yeah. total. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and when you stop to think about that, I mean the whole knock uh, on the Nats. I make more than that. Yeah, <laughs> right. The whole knock on the Nats, though, Mark, is that you know they don't pay their managers. Sure, and and that's another fair point that if you were going to bring back Dusty, and he had sort of made it clear all along. Look, he had taken a below market deal in order to get back in the yeah. game two years ago, and he wanted to be paid commensurate with what someone of his experience should make. And uh, Look, Joe Girardi was available, still is available, but that wasn't necessarily a direction they wanted to go, maybe in part because of the money. It it is fascinating that a team that, look, they have one of the highest payrolls in baseball. They're not afraid to spend money on players. They're going to go over the luxury tax probably again this year. For whatever reason, they do not value the managerial position the same way and believe that that is worth the money. Now, look, all that said, were there baseball reasons, legitimate reasons, to say maybe they could do better than Dusty Baker? Sure, absolutely. Um, but uh, obviously the financial aspects of this played a role in all. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, I know you uh, are a college football fan because Mark is a Northwestern grad, okay? Okay. So Big Ten guy. Uh, we find out, uh, Mark, that uh, Keith Jackson, sad note, dies last night at the age of 89. And I don't know about you, but when I think college football and one voice, it's Keith Jackson's voice. No, I, I agree. That's one of those seminal voices and you know that you associate just with one sport. And I was thinking about it, I just heard it about a half hour ago. I was remembering how, so I was at Northwestern in the mid-'90s. Uh, and in 1995 is when we had our magic run to the Rose Bowl. Gary Barnett, which was yeah. the first time in 47 years they had gone to any bowl game. And I was thinking about how there, you know there were great moments that season. They beat Notre Dame to start the year. They beat Michigan on the road. But maybe the biggest moment, to be honest, was they had a November game against Penn State, a home game, and it was announced the week before that ABC was going to do the game, and Keith Jackson was going to be on the call. Mm-hmm. And for those of us there, that just it blew your mind because 
Keith Jackson, he's not, he doesn't do a Northwestern game. Right, Come on. Right. He's coming to Northwestern. He's going to be in the press box. And I just remember being in awe of that. And we were, those of us at the student paper, we tried to sneak our way up into the, uh, the booth before the game to try to give him a copy of our paper, our preview of the game. We didn't actually get in. We had to give it to some uh, stage manager or producer or something. But just the idea that Keith Jackson was going to be on campus calling a game at Northwestern was unfathomable to all of us. That's how much he meant. That's how big he was. Uh, to the sport, so it's very sad to hear that news today. But um, man, between him and Dick Enberg now in the last yeah. couple of weeks, that's certainly that's my youth right there. Those two voices are two that I listened to entirely growing up. Uh, certainly involved in every big football game. We're talking with Mark Zuckerman of Madison Sports. Uh, everybody knows the relationship that Scott Boros has held with uh, the owner of the Washington Nationals, Ted Lerner. He seems to be able to circumvent and go around Mike Rizzo quite often. Do you look at any of who he's got available this year and see a fit? Because I look at the Nationals, and there's no question, Scherzer and Strasburg at the top are are great. But after that, as, as proven in the playoffs the last couple of years, it's very suspect. Um, uh, do you see a fit with a Jake Arrieta and Alex Cobb or one of the other pitchers that um, is represented by Scott Boris? Well, Scott Morris is trying to make them interested in Jake Arrieta, I can tell you that, because those uh, rumors started floating at the winter meeting. And the way it was described to me at the time uh, by someone, it was, I asked, is this a case of you guys actually being interested in Arrieta or Scott trying to make you be interested in (laughs) Arrieta? And they said it's the latter. Right. (laughs) Uh, Now, that doesn't mean that it won't happen, because we've seen he's been able to do this before. They weren't in on Max Scherzer initially a few years ago. And all of a sudden, it was late January. He still hadn't been signed. Uh, and Boris was able to get directly to Ted Lerner and say, hey, you know, I think this is a guy who can help you. And that move paid off brilliantly. So let's not make it sound like these are necessarily bad deals uh, in the end when, when Scott Boris pushes these. There, there's a case to be made for it, certainly, whether it's Arietta or someone else. You know, at the moment, they have four qualified, experienced starting pitchers. Are you so who, who are you including? Rourke is the fourth, and, and yeah, Gonzalez, yeah. and, and, yeah. and Tanner Rourke. Now, yeah. um, I, I just look as if you need to get through a season. Those are guys who are going to give you thirty starts, and you know what you're going to mm-hmm. get. They've had good moments, they've had bad moments, etc. But <laughs> they don't really have a proven number five guy. And they've got young guys like Eric Fetty and AJ Cole. They just re-signed Edwin Jackson to a minor league deal. So in theory, you say, well, they probably need a fifth starter. But to me, what they need is not a number five starter what they need if they're going to make a move is a number three starter. Right. Because they can get through the regular season fine. I mean, last year, Joe Ross pitched the first half of the year. Edwin Jackson pitched the second half of the year. They collectively had a five ERA between them. The team still had a winning record in the games that they started uh, because the offense was so good, and they won the division by 20 games. Right. So, look, they don't need a number five starter. They, they can be just fine with who they have. But if you get back to October, who besides Scherzer and Strasburg are you putting out there that you're confident can win you a big game? Gio Gonzalez, for all the good that he's done in uh, now, what, six years mm-hmm. in D.C., his playoff track record is not good at all. He has never made it through five innings or beyond fifth inning. Uh, he's never had a quality start. He's never even had a decision because he's come out of the game so early in most of these cases, and we saw it happen in Game 5 last year. So to me... If they have a way of acquiring someone, and that can be now or it can even be in July if they need to make a move in season, 
That, to me, would be a priority, getting someone else that you know you can put out there for a do-or-die game in October that can help you win, uh, as opposed to somebody who's going to make 30 starts over the season and be your number five starter. It was interesting. You mentioned a, a whole host of you know the guys beyond Scherzer and Strasburg, and Joe Ross was only mentioned that he pitched last year. What's his status going into spring training this year, and is he, is he a bounce-back candidate at all in the eyes of them, or is he still hurt? Well, yeah, not until mid-season because he had okay. Tommy John surgery. Yeah, Tommy. Okay, July. I did not know he had Tommy John yeah. surgery. So uh, it's going to be mid-season at the earliest before it comes back. And now, hey, look, maybe it does. Maybe he's that guy by the end of the season. But I don't know that they can count on that happening. Um, track record is very good with guys returning from the injury, yep. but it's not a hundred percent. And here's a guy who had his moments, but um, you know, had not really proven himself quite yet as a. Uh, consistently a strong big league starting pitcher. So, you know, Eric Fetty also is their number one prospect. We barely got a glimpse of him last year. Um, he ended the season with a sort of minor injury, and they just decided to shut him down from overuse. So, look, he may step up and be that guy as well. They do have potential options there. Um, but as far as sure things, they don't really have that guy that I think Ultimately, when you get to October, you want to have in a rotation. Health, health wise, is Adam Eaton ready? You know, raring to go and ready and healthy. Yeah, he says so. And um, <laughs> uh, you know, he's a good now. What nine months removed from the ACL surgery? So I right. think yeah, it's been a different time of year. Maybe he would be ready to go. But um, it, the team is trying to tell him, hey, take it easy. You don't need to push this too soon. Uh, I know you want to be ready first day of spring training, but we're gonna ease you into it and mm-hmm. there's no reason to, to push it too fast um, but boy here's a guy and I think we we forget just how good he was for those four weeks before he got hurt you betcha and what a difference he made on their lineup um, if he resembles anything like what we saw for that first month of the season and now you have Eaton and Trey Turner at the top of your lineup in front of all the big guys uh, I think that makes a huge difference and we're finally going to find out why they were willing to trade all those top pitching prospects to get him. What we saw from him was evidence of that, um, but we're going to need to see more of it now over a full season. Uh, I've got two quickies. One is sort of not under Nat's coverage, so to speak, and that is Jason Worth. What are you hearing of anybody interested in him? Are the Nats at all interested in bringing him back for one-year deal? Uh, What are you hearing on Jason Worth? What I've heard is, um, number one, he is determined to come back and show that he still has a lot of career left in him. Well, we know he's uh, not dead yet because he's already told us that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's out in Arizona, or at least for part of the winter has been in Arizona working at a performance uh, uh, facility out there, really working hard. And, uh, look, I think it's killing him that he hasn't signed yet, but I think the realistic uh, explanation is with so many other free agents unsigned still at this late date of the offseason he's just going to have to wait until all those big names come off the board he is way down the priority list for most teams and so i would not be surprised if it gets to february and even if teams are starting to report for spring training and he's still getting a job or looking for a job um, to me the fascinating question is going to be what kind of team is going to offer him what kind of playing time in all likelihood, a team that's going to offer him any kind of substantial role is probably not going to be a contending team, or at least not a team that's expected to contend. So is he willing to do that after spending all these years with the Phillies and the Nationals where he was 
on winning teams in almost every case? Um, or is he willing to take a lesser role if there is a team that has a chance to contend that's offering him a spot on the bench? That, to me, is going to be the fascinating question. As far as the Nationals go, um, I think both sides kind of understood at the end of the season that that was going to be the end of it. Not that they don't love each other, not that they don't respect what he meant to the organization, but at this point they can't give him a starting job. And to be honest, they're really deep in young outfielders as well, so they're probably set from a backup standpoint. So I don't know that it makes sense other than from a clubhouse leadership standpoint use a roster spot on him, and I think he understands that and recognizes that. Last question I have for you is, here in Baltimore, Manny Machado just signed yesterday, avoiding arbitration, $16 million. Here in Baltimore, it's pretty much a fait accompli that if he plays this year in Baltimore, it's going to be his last year. Um, The Nats took a very different tack. They signed Bryce Harper last year in early May to his 2018 contract, at $21 million, I know one thing that Manny Machado isn't happy about, that discrepancy. Uh, do you think that may help down the road with a negotiation with Bryce Harper, or do you see him gone as much as we see Machado gone? Well, I think I remember thinking at the time it certainly won't hurt their chances yeah. to maybe extend an olive branch. I mean, that was unusual. You don't Very unusual. Yeah. Signing a guy arbitration – in mid-season, you know, months and months before that even is an issue. So I thought that was a little bit of a, hey, let's extend an olive branch yeah, here and maybe exactly. show you some goodwill. Now, will it matter in the end? I don't know if it will or not. I, I've always said from the beginning that when it comes to where Bryce is going to end up going, whether he wants to stay or not, it really is less about money and more about where does he believe this franchise is and where is it going. If he goes somewhere else, it's going to be to an iconic franchise that has history and has won titles, um, the kind of place where they play in front of a sellout crowd every night. It's going to be L.A., Chicago, New York, maybe a Boston or San Francisco. That's really what we're talking about. He's not going to go to Seattle or Milwaukee just because they offer him the most money. I don't think that's going to be the case. So what's the best way for the Nationals to convince him to stay? Yes, they have to make him a competitive offer. But really, it's about how do they do on the field. Um, can they get themselves over this hump and not just be a team that gets to the playoffs but actually wins once they get there? Can it be the kind of thing where the whole city becomes uh, enraptured with this team? This town desperately wants somebody to win. It's been so long since any of their teams not only won a title but even reached uh, a the championship round. game. Yeah, I don't, I don't suppose you're counting about the uh, the world team tennis down there, right? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm ignoring them, and I'm ignoring the soccer team because I know they get upset by these things. But uh, four major sports, no. Uh, it's been a it's been a long time, and people here just desperately want one of these teams to do it. And I really believe if one of them can get over that hump, it's going to be a huge deal, especially the Nationals. By the way, so I ha- oh, go ahead. You you have you seen the soccer stadium yet? Uh, recently, it's in December or so. Yeah, I mean it's coming along. It's com- be, you know our par- you know our media parking lot is gone. Well, I've heard rumors. <laughs> I'm not happy. About <laughs> I'm just bringing up important topics. I have a question for you, real quick. You do you still have a Hall, Hall of Fame vote? Yes, I do. Uh, you want to give us a glimpse or not? Uh, I I don't officially release it until the actual results are announced uh, in a couple weeks, but. 
Um, here, here's here's what I'll tell you. you but can look but at since since it's me, <laughs> yeah, you, you can look at how I voted in the past and have a sense of who among the returning candidates I'm going to vote for. And I know we can have a whole hour long discussion on this one. There's a certain pitcher who spent the first half of his career in Baltimore and the second half of his career in New York, who I have not voted for in the past. Um, I struggle with it every year because I keep looking for a reason. Can, to get can, him over the hump. Can I give and, you that reason? Can I, Mark? Please, yes, give me. I, I'm looking for. Do one. a really close comparison when you when you factor in DH steroid era and compare Tom Glavin's numbers. Take away just one t- one category wins. Look mm-hmm. at the amount of innings, strikeouts, winning percentage versus the winning percentage of his team. I think Mike Mussina has really been undervalued. He's really close this year. So, uh, and, and the other thing, the other thing too, is it's amazing. I find out, and and I saw a stat or somebody put up something last night on TV where, of a hundred and I don't know thirty ballots that they know of, he's at seventy three point four percent. Now, yeah, I he, certainly don't expect that to be the number when all the final vote tallies Do you are. think he's going to go over, or do you think he's going to uh, recede? I, 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 I think, think he's, he's going to be in the high 60s. I, think, I still think he's going to be in the 60s. Yeah. Uh, and I really don't think he'll get in for about another two years. But the one thing, Mark, I think that is happening is all of a sudden these Sabre Matrix guys are really, you know, taking a liking to his numbers and, and what he did throughout his career in that regard. Uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I do think he's going to get in eventually. He's on the right track. And I think the more uh, new voters that come in are appreciating him more. And um, I, I urge one th- I urge one thing, Mark, that, that topic I just or that category, which isn't a category, is look at his winning percentage and add up the winning percentages of the team he, teams he played for versus Glavin's. Glavin was always on a great team. Mike Messina was not always on a great Baltimore team. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and, and I'll just address real quickly because I know this is, this is kind of at the crux of, of where I, I struggle with yeah. it, I know, of what I to do. And that is, um, yes, when you look at the overall numbers, you can compare him very favorably to guys who are not just in the Hall of Fame but were slam dunks yep. to make the Hall of Fame. And for me, and this applies to other players that I vote on as well, that I've uh, voted on or not voted for in the past, um, I tend to look more at individual seasons than what the final total is. You can get to that final total different ways, and I want to see dominant seasons along the way. And while Messina was consistently very good, I'm not trying to take anything away from him in that regard. What the hang-up for me usually boils down to, that there weren't enough of those dominant, great seasons that earned the kind of recognition that you would expect of a Hall of Famer, like top Cy Young votes, first place, second place, those kinds of things. And it's close. Believe me, I struggle with this yep. every year. Um, All right. that, that, that really is almost the, the, the little tipping point for me is that rather than what the career total numbers are, I look at seasons within a career and how many dominant seasons were there. All so right. did, did, we got, you, did you vote run. for him or not? He, no, he hasn't voted for him. All right, well, that'll do it for Mark Zuckerman here. <laughs> Mark, many thanks. We went over on you. I really appreciate the time, and maybe we can grab you once the season starts uh, up again, okay? Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Mark. 
very much. Ver- Mark Zuckerman, really good guest. Uh, really he's, good guest. he's great, and he does a fabulous job. And very, very he, thoughtful. He, the fact that he's wrong about Mussina is... Well, no, you know, and I get it. But, I mean, I just think we all know of a different, you know, Mike yeah. Messina than a lot of people perceive him to be. All right. We're going to take a time out. When we get back, we're going to talk more about this topic, not just Mike Messina. The Hall of Fame ballot of John Delcos of the New York Mets report. He's going to join us next. How can you make a sunny beach with great music, great food, and a great cause even better? Just have water. Join us on Saturday, January 27th for the Maryland State Police Polar Bear Plunge at Any Point State Park. My name is Carmen, and your support helps me achieve my dreams of being a greater part of my community through sports. Go to PlungeMD.com to sign up today. Proudly sponsored by Aerotech, New Day USA, St. John Properties, Flying Dog, and Zest. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a touching family story for the holidays as Bo Smolka profiles Raven safety Eric Weddle, a man whose family and faith are every bit the priority that football is. Plus, 10 questions with Ravens cornerback Brandon Carr and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Parkcell Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can cater your holiday party, and now you can order the catering trays and delivery online. Go to Chick-fil-A.com and select Nottingham Square as your store and place your order. Did you know that Chick-fil-A offers the Grilled Chicken Bundle, a catering tray where everyone can build their own grilled chicken sandwich? Plus, Chick-fil-A offers chicken nugget catering trays with up to 200 nuggets per tray and chicken strip trays with up to 75 chicken strips. Call Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. You can pick it up or he'll bring it to you. That's 410-931-0031. And welcome back to the Bat Around. Craig Heist and the fan Charles on this Saturday, January the 13th. And Stan, I hate to tell you this, but it's getting colder outside again. Well, I understand we went from 61 degrees yesterday. I understand a kickoff tomorrow in Pittsburgh where it was also about 61. It's going to be 12 degrees. 12 degrees, and there could be snow on the ground as well. Okay. Or it may even be snowing. Why don't you introduce our guest? Well, he's a good friend of mine. From back, no, he's not. Yes, he is. No, from back in the day, started with the York Daily Record, and uh, then went up to cover. Then he went to the dark side. <laughs> went and covered the New, New York Yankees for a long time. John Delcos, how are you this morning? I'm doing fine, Stan. How are you? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love uh, it. It's good to hear hear from you, man. What's going on? Oh, just you know, just. Covering the Mets these days, yes, uh, which is even Not- darker than the Yankees because <laughs> there's no hope there. 
Yeah, but you got Jay Bruce back. Come on. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't sound he excited. He sounds real thrilled with that. Well, actually, I, I like Bruce, but, you know, it just seems like once you have a player and you don't want to pay him to stay, well, then why do you pay him to come back? I, it, it just seems like a lot of wasted energy. Well, it seems like the Mets, just like a lot of teams named the Baltimore Orioles and the Pittsburgh Pirates and things like that, they just, they sort of, they reinvent what is the proper amount of compensation almost on a yearly or every other year. They just, all of a sudden, four months later, they say, mm, $13 million for Bruce compared to what's out there in the market. That doesn't sound too bad. No, it doesn't. It, you know, he could have held out and gotten more maybe. Or we could have held out and gotten less. Yeah. So it, it, it's hard to tell how the market's going to react. Well, and uh, th- well, this year was very, very slow. Well, one thing that we know is that guys his age, how old is Jay now, 31, 32? 31. 31. There, once you get north of 30, you ain't getting a contract longer than three years. The average yearly uh, compensation might be a little bit higher here or there, but you get over 30 – Teams don't want to give you a five- or six-year contract. I certainly found that to be the case. John, what about you? Oh, I agree. <laughs> and it's it's funny that most long-term contracts don't work out. Um, the Yankees, you know, they had a long 10-year deal with Jeter, but he wasn't really anything the last three years. And one of the few free agent pitchers that had signed long-term contracts and worked out was Mike Messina. Right. And, and uh, he he flourished with the Yankees. And um, he got my Hall of Fame vote. Good for you. Good for you. Wanted to talk to you a little bit aside from the Mets about Hall of Fame balloting. We've got that out of the way because you voted for Messina. Have you relented on voting for the, the steroid guys? I mean, how do you – how do you – how does your – vote play out with uh, relation to Bonds and Clemens? They didn't get my vote, and they won't get my vote. And I covered Roger Clemens for three or four years. And um, I, you know, like I was, like everybody else, I was seduced by the guy. I thought, yeah, he was really that good. But he wasn't. And the thing about the steroids is it doesn't make you hit the ball farther. It doesn't make you throw the ball harder. But it would it enables you to do, it enables you to train longer and harder. And in August, when everybody else is dog tired, you still have the energy and it creates bat speed and bat speed is where the power comes from. And it's not hitting the ball 450 feet. It's hitting the ball 401 feet, just getting it over the wall. That's that whole extra umph that enables you to get it done. And, you know, you're, you're cheating the game. You're cheating your teammates. Uh, how many guys got beaten out by steroid users? I don't know. There's no way of knowing. Yep. But the thing is, is the beauty about sports, Stan, in, in my mind, is for the um, viewer and the opposing player to believe what's going on in, in their eyes is true. And when somebody cheats and you know, he trains longer and harder, and it's a little bit stronger. That's not. That's not. That's not. Um, 
That's not true to the aim. What do you say? What do you say in the case of Bonds to those that would say, "Yeah, we know he cheated, but he did it really late in his career because he was sort of ticked off at all the the attention McGuire and Sosa were getting, and he would have been a he would have been a first ballot Hall of Famer without the steroids." Maybe he would have been. Maybe he wouldn't have been. But you know, the thing is, he still cheated. Yeah. You know, I mean, I covered Rafael Palmero. And, you know, if anybody should be in the Hall of Fame based on numbers, it's him. 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. Slam dunk stats. It's been that way for generations. But, you know, once he, wa- once he waved his finger in Congress and said, I don't cheat, or whatever he said, you know, I just, yeah, I believed him. I wanted to believe him. Right. But, you know, the thing is, is I think he thought, by testifying in Congress, that saying that that he would get a, a free pass, and I believe that's when he started using, um, or, or or you know, shortly thereafter. Positive. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but again, we we've, we've been down that road before, and and you know, he he went up and testified uh, before Congress on the seventeenth of March, because we were in Fort Lauderdale there when he left. He wagged his finger, said he never did it. Right. And then and two months later. And then well then the the, the steroid test that he was positive for occurred in mid April that year. Right. And then two weeks later he was tested again and he was negative. And he went that entire year with that hanging over him as mm-hmm. he approached three thousand hits, which he eventually got uh, in Seattle right before he got popped for it. So with all the appeals and everything else, and John, you and I have had this discussion before. I I personally am a belief that he was set up, and I think he was the poster boy for Bud Selig. Be- it could have been. It could very well be. I don't trust anything from the Bud Selig era. No, me either, uh, because he did everything I, he could. He did everything he could to brush the thing under the rug and not pay any attention to it until he was forced to finally But are you it. claiming you think he was set up by Bud Selig or by a teammate that didn't like him? I. Oh, well, that, that could have been either one. Well, yeah, but I mean, that well, led I mean to, when you have a conspiracy, you got to give me what the conspiracy is. That lends a lot, of, a lot of credence to me and what Rafi was saying right. in terms of getting a bad B12 shot right. because all of a sudden, not too far down the line after the positive test, Miguel Tejada is being brought before right. uh, a, a grand jury and, and, and he's being asked to testify about lying. When he was interviewed. So I want to be clear, though, on the facts, though. You're saying that he failed a test, Palmero, and he then two, the two weeks later he he passed the test? That's my understanding of and it, And they yes. still suspended him? And they still suspended him. All right. Well, no, the I, thing is, is that um, once you test positive, that's it. That's it, yeah. And my, my criteria in, in the Hall of Fame voting is if you tested positive, um, you're, you're out. If somebody... Um, <clears throat> says on the record, um, or you were, your name showed up in the Mitchell report, like Bonds did, then you're out. And also, if um, a teammate or a um, coach or manager says on the record, yeah, this guy cheated, I saw him, and um, th- then it creates doubt, and in that mind, in my mind, that doubt creates a no, a no vote. What I've always hated about it in terms of Rafi's situation, John, is the fact that 
for everything that I just explained as far as the test after the wagging of the finger and everything else, uh, right away everybody says, well, he's been doing it his whole career. And you don't know that, I don't know that, and they don't know that. No, they don't. But the thing about it is is once you test positive, um, and going back to Stan's question about bonds, um, you don't know when he started. And um, the thing is, is um, once you test positive, that creates doubt yeah, about your right. whole career. Yeah. And um, I'm sorry if if the if the if the Hall of Fame changes its criteria and mandates that on the plaque there's an asterisk that says played and tested positive in the steroid era and has that document on the plaque, then I'll vote for that guy mm -hmm. because it's, it's acknowledging it. You know, history, history is not clean and pretty and, 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 and immaculate. History is dirty and, and history is rough. And that means that, you know, guys test positive. And they, they, if you're going to be a Hall of Famer, then that should be on your plaque. It should be noted that you're a cheater. John Delcos is our guest. He writes the New York Mets report, and you can follow that blog during the baseball season or all year round at NewYorkMetsReport.com. Uh, John, we do know that Chipper Jones has 98.4% of the votes. Vlad Guerrero has 945 Jim Tomey has 93.4, Edgar Martinez has 80.8, and Trevor Huffman has 78% currently. Are you comfortable with thinking all five of those will get in? That's a big class. I sure hope so, because I voted for all five. All right. Um, and, I, and I also voted for Mike. Yeah, and Mike is next at 736 with with the voting the way it is, do you agree with Craig and I, not whether he deserves to be in, do you think Mucina has any chance to pick up the requisite votes he needs to go over 75, or do you think he might fall to like 68 or 69% when all the votes are tallied? And he was 52 he, last year. Yeah. He might. He might. I don't think you're going to pick up 2%. Um, well, it's 1.4% as of last night he would need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what he has now, next year he could get in. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and, where and do he's going to get my vote where do you every stand, time he's on the ballot. Where do you stand on Kurt Schilling? He's next below Mucina at 66.5%. I didn't vote for Schilling. I, um, I, I just don't like the guy. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big advocate of the – I always – you talk about conspiracy – or, or theatrics, I think the bloody sock game was a theatric. You know, if you get a cut, you know, first of all, he had surgery on that ankle. How are you pitching? Maybe he didn't have surgery. Yeah, there's doubt there. But th there was a big ink, uh, blood spot on the spot, on the sock, and it was perfect. I mean, nobody bleeds in a perfect circle. And so, why is that there? Nobody could, nobody could find the damn sock either. Actually. Yeah, where did that sock go? Uh, that, he, they, they got it, it in was, the same room as Albert Bell's court <laughs> bat in Chicago. Yeah, you, you would think that somebody would have, would have kept that sock and, and sold it. 
But um, <laughs> nobody could find that damn sock. And, you know, surely that is, unbe- that is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. All right, we're yeah, talking. Yeah. We're talking with John Delcos uh, about the the Hall of Fame. Um, your thoughts about Chipper Jones? He's near. I mean, that's just about as high as anybody's gotten. Has anybody ever been? I know, as of five years ago, nobody was at a hundred percent. I mean, Tom nobody's, Seaver was no, like. Nobody's it. been. A- Tom Seaver nobody's was been around a- this number, right? Ninety-eight percent. Tom Seaver. Yeah, and. and um- Kurt Griffey, uh, I think, uh, Ken Griffey. surpassed that. Yeah. Um, or uh, Ken Griffey, I'm sorry. Yeah. And um, who's Kurt? Well, who's Kurt Griffey? Who's Kurt Griffey? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he was my favorite. Uh, Griffey was one of my favorite players. And, and um, you know, some of the guys I, I voted for, like McGriff. Yeah. You know, he fell shy of 500 home runs. But we talk about steroids, and McGriff did it cleanly. He's probably one of he and Tommy are probably the last great power hitters that did it cleanly, and that's why I got my vote. And uh, nobody could nobody ever linked to McGriff or Tommy to steroid usage, so I voted for him. What about Edgar Martinez? And in, in terms of the DH, I mean, yeah. we we always hear about DHs and and how how a lot of people don't even want to recognize them for the Hall of Fame in many instances. But you know, Edgar, I think along with David Ortiz, but again, you, you run in with the David Ortiz, you run into that same issue as far as the, uh, the, the PEDs. But when you think about the, the three DHs I think about, is, is one of them is Edgar, obviously, and the other one played right here in Baltimore and played for the White Sox and Harold Baines. I, have, I voted for Edgar, and every year I sent an email to the Seattle Mariners PR guy saying, once again, Edgar got my vote. You know what? If you don't want to vote for a designated hitter, well, then get off your butt, Major League Baseball, and abolish the DH. Right. It's a legitimate position that you guys installed in the game. Um, and 40, 44 years ago now. Yeah, it was supposed to be a three-year experiment, yeah. but, you know, it, it, keeps getting, it keeps getting renewed. Um, I voted for Martinez. And uh, I think that he, he w- in fact, Edgar got my MVP vote um, the year that um, uh, the Mariners got in. I, I believe one, two, and three were Vaughn, Albert Bell, and, and I don't know who the third guy was. It wasn't Edgar, but Edgar got my vote that year. Um, and I don't mind guys being compilers. You know, you know like Yastrzemski was a compiler. Um Hey, even Cal Ripken was a compiler, you know? Yeah. But the thing is, is, is it, you have to be pretty damn good to stay around that long. To be to compiling, compile those numbers. yeah, yeah. No question about it. Uh, talk a little bit, and I haven't asked Craig this either. You know, a lot of times when the Orioles would sign these old-timers like Sammy Sosa, I could have cared less. It was a yawn. I was thrilled to have one year – of Vlad Guerrero in an Orioles uniform and get to witness him up close, even though he was probably 75% of the player he was in his prime. And while he was an Oriole, John, I saw something out of Vlad Guerrero I've never seen out of anybody else ever to play this game. What, hitting the ball off the ground? Hit a baseball for a base hit to center field after the ball had bounced. (laughs) Yeah. I, I thought he was one of the great players of our generation. I didn't vote for 
Guerrero last year. Yeah. Because I voted, uh, I voted for ten people on my ballot, and the last guy was Lee Smith, mm-hmm. and he was the last year on his on the ballot, and Guerrero was his first year, and I figured, well, Guerrero is going to get it next year, so I'm going to vote for Lee Smith this year because this is his last chance. At least Smith was the compiler. You know, when you talk about the DH not getting credit. I love that term. Well, I've never heard reliever, that term, compiler. Re- 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 relievers don't get credit either. And here's a guy with third all-time in saves. You know, I mean, to say, it, you know, whatever the save rule is, it is a rule. And he got 400 of them or whatever it was. And um, that's why he got my vote. And I saw Lee Smith pitch. And um, yeah, I, he, but the he, question he, was about the the question was about Vlad Guerrero. Yeah, did yeah, you? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I like I like I like Vlad, and I did. I and love um, him. he, I I enjoyed watching him. Yeah, I love watching him play. And and you know the thing is, is I don't I don't recall who was on the the Oriole team that year. The Guerrero wasn't there. It wasn't very. But good I'm sh- I'm sure that some of those players learned something. Yeah. Hey, last question for you. You do the New York Mets report. What's your early assessment on Mickey Calloway, the new new skipper? I like I like him, yep. but I don't know him. And nobody knows what he's going to do under game react game uh, I was going to react under game pressure. And uh, it's it's you know, it's a Mets trying to do something different. And um, You think he's going to be you, know, a, he, you think he's going to be a compiler? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's actually lucky if they compile seventy games this year. Okay. Uh, but um, you know what? I'm happy for the guy. Yeah. I'm happy for the guy. He got a chance, um, and, I, and maybe maybe the, maybe he'll turn out to be something special. I think and he is going to be. I have a feeling he is going to be something special. Um, John. It's been a long time. We'll get you on once the season starts. Talk a little New York Mets baseball. All right. All right, hey, my friend. Dave, thank you so much. David Wright, is he going to camp this year at all? Yeah, he's going to go to camp. And, yeah. and, 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 and Such yeah, a shame. What, Such a shame. Yeah, it, it is. He's a, he's, a, he's a great player. Yep. Um, he's on, on the downhill slide, and um, I, I feel bad for him. Yeah, the injuries, um, the injuries have robbed him of being a compiler. That's right. No chance. Well, I'm serious. You know, here's I a guy. Know. Listen, I love that, David you know, like, Wright. Like Messina, Messina went out on his own terms. Yeah. And I asked him. I asked him. Um, you know, you're that close to 300 wins. Why don't you hang around? And he said, I could hang around and do it, but I don't want to hang around. Yeah. I I don't want to. I don't want to just get there, get the number. Whatever I I did, I did on my own. And um, that should be enough. He didn't. I didn't want to put. I don't want to put that work in to 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 pitch just to get ten more wins. I just don't want to do it. I've got one, John. I got one more question about Musina. You know about the relationship my co-host has with him in this generation of sexual harassment. Has there ever ever been any claims that Musina sexually harassed Craig Heist? Oh, I, I don't think I don't think anybody can be accused of sexually harassment. Yeah, well, I'm glad you put that to rest. <laughs> hey, John, it's great to talk to you again. We'll we'll reach out to you when the season starts. All right. All right, Stan. All right, Craig. You guys take care and all right. and good luck to you this year. All right, thank there's, you, buddy. There's all a right. great uh, Vlad Guerrero story, yeah. or not, not Vlad Guerrero, but there's a great Lee Smith story right. that I have to tell you, but I have to tell you off, off the air. The air. Okay. <laughs> 
right. We're going to take our final time out on what has been a spirited morning on the battle round. A good show today. Craig Heist, Stan the Fan, and Brittany Everett. Ready to take the reins of the show. We'll I say can, our goodbyes to Bonson. I Bonsa cannot Tufa. wait. I cannot oh, wait. Can't wait. Don't let the door hit him <laughs> on the way out. Uh, we'll be right back and say our goodbyes to Bonza Tufa. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a touching family story for the holidays as Bo Smolka profiles Raven safety Eric Weddle, a man whose family and faith are every bit the priority that football is. Plus, 10 questions with Ravens cornerback Brandon Carr and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Full Circle Tire and Auto would like to thank the Harford County Sheriff's Department and the Baltimore County and Baltimore City Police Departments. Any active or retired employee can receive 8.75% off up to $100 on any service. We are proud to serve you. Thank you for serving us. The deal lasts through January 31st, and that's Full Circle Tire and Auto at 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277 at 1304 Governor's Court, Suite 110 in Abingdon, Maryland. FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yards. Yeah, we've been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium... We tend to sit in 334. But the ticket screwed up. We're just, we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336. Yeah, so Section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press us. box. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com or by going to iTunes or section336.com. <laughs> Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron. Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins he Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. And we are back on the bat around. After Look, he's uh, taking the show over now. <laughs> well, the la- we gave him the, yeah, most we gave important, the most important saying The goodbye. last two minutes of the show. By yeah. the way, I'd like to say one thing right off the yes. bat. 
We were talking about Glenn Clark's promos. Yeah. No, everybody is taller and bigger than Aaron Oster. Because I know Aaron. Okay. <laughs> Did not know that. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Bonza, uh, you, you came in about a year and a half ago. I was very suspect. I'd never worked with anybody named Bonza before. but uh, Not many people have. <laughs> I've grown to be very fond of you. You're a pro, and you're going to do great things in your career. I appreciate that. Thank you. Honestly, it's amazing. Wow. I put the three shot up, and it has me as Craig, and it has you as me. Don't ever make that mistake <laughs> again. <laughs> no, but honestly, I thought I knew a lot about baseball before I came here. Yeah. And and you know even less now, now, right? You know less now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's like learning the like the details and what goes on inside a team, and like thinking of what a player might do, where he might go, and why a team might be interested in all that stuff. It's all he does like is that dial, story I just told you off the air. Exactly. <laughs> oh my! All God. he does is dial the phone. I know. I mean, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't make it too big a deal. You're a phone dialer. You're a, you're a phone dialer, you're a board op, I'm a we compiler. love you. It's a compiler. <laughs> we love you, and I get the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> so when do you actually start your job at Washington and Lake? One week from Monday. All right. One week from Monday, I'll be moving Wait a this minute. Thursday. Then why aren't you here next weekend? Because he's moving Thursday. next weekend. Oh, yeah. details. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I thought you were happy about that, Craig. Come no, on. No, I mean, I don't care whether you show up or not. I'm not going to be here. <laughs> no, it's really, <laughs> this show, though, has turned into a real nice Towson legacy with Brandon Sachs, and now you're passing the baton to Brittany Everett. Yeah. Hey, Brittany, are you excited about working here? I'm super excited keeping the Towson string going. She's just saying you're that. Big, she's just you're a big baseball fan, too. Everybody that does this show is a big baseball fan, Oh, too. yeah, I mean, you have to be to be on the show. Well, that, mean, that, means, that means you'll know more about the game as you start this invent- adventure than Bonza did when he started the adventure. Oh, I hope so, but I have big <laughs> shoes to fill from Bonza. All right, well, listen, we love you. You'll stay in touch with us, and maybe when Washington and Lee wins the NCAA tournament, we'll have you on the show. Sounds like a plan. And, rem- and remember, the driving lessons begin next Saturday. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? One thing, Virginia. D- is it Dunwoody or Dinwoody County? When you're driving from around here down to, to Virginia, if you go through Dinwoody, it's Dinwoody County. Never heard be- of that county. Never heard of that county. Be very careful. Seriously. They lo- if you're five miles over the speed limit, they love to get you. Uh, I love how you guys are actually giving we me got Arling- on this. We got Arlington. two or three people. We got, got Arlington ticket. County. We got Fairfax County. Yeah. We got Fauquier County. Maybe this is Prince on William. the way down to Durham. You hit D- Dinwiddie County. It's that in Virginia. That could be all the way down. It's in Virginia, though. Right, but it could be yeah, all the way might... down toward the Carolina line. But it's it's before well before the Carolina line. It's, it's after Petersburg. Lexington is two hours west of Richmond, hours south of JMU, right. James Madison. So I don't right. know how far. Just check, just check it out. Yeah. We used to play Washington and Lee when I was at Salisbury. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, Beat them. Couple of D3 beat them all the time. Yeah, beat them all the time. Yeah. yeah. All, right. all right. We wish you he nothing knows. but the best. And <laughs> we'll you. see. We'll see Miss Brittany Everett here next week. Uh, was a little concerned about her two weeks ago. Why, why are you clapping, Craig? Huh? Why are you clapping? I was a little concerned about Brittany though. You guys, you live in Laurel, and where do you live? Silver Spring. Silver Spring. She lives in Towson. Mm-hmm. You guys were – Bonza had said, it's pretty risky. You said you'd make it in. I said, don't make it in, but if Brittany can make it. She lives in Towson. There wasn't oh, even a recorded, snow. like, quarter of an inch of snow, and she couldn't get her car out. So I was nervous about that. Well, 
But I talked to her about it. Yeah. It's literally like you don't the, need to explain literally like the week to, before to she was trying to drive and she ran over a nail and flattened two tires as well. So uh-oh. <laughs> I can see the Do you know how to work the board? <laughs> sure. Okay. I can figure it out. You can figure it out. All right, listen gang. Uh it's been a real best of luck to you. You're going to knock you. them dead down there in Virginia. Appreciate right? it. Thank you. The bar is probably very low cuz they've never had anybody it's in been his real. position. It's been real. It's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. <laughs> <laughs> There he goes, Bonzatufo. Uh, we'll see you next week. Don't forget, Ken Zales, Sarita Hubbard are in tomorrow. Who do you like today in the two playoff games? Atlanta uh, at Philly. You know what? I'm going to take Atlanta in that. So uh, am I. And I'm, I'm just amazed that they're a favorite against the number one seed. I think that's the first time that's ever happened when the number one seed being at home. I think it speaks to Nick Foles' quarterback, quarterback of the Eagles. Right. If he plays at his highest level, they can win that and, game. And I know Glenn Clark, I like I think Glenn Clark play, posted something this week about – Anybody that doesn't – oh, no, maybe it was Minimeyer. Minimeyer said yeah. that uh, – Consider the consider, source. Well, no, just the same – along the same line. says, anybody thinks Jacksonville can't win, Jacksonville can't win that game. I'm sorry. All right. They're not going to go into Pittsburgh. Scott Van Pelt picked it as a four-point game. He says 23-19. to 19. I think Jacksonville's going to keep it close. I love New England tonight. And tomorrow, I think the Saints get past Minnesota. But do you love New England at 13 and a half points? I like them to take care of Tennessee at 13 and a half. Guys, thank you very much. But Zalas and Sarita tomorrow, 10 to 12. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer back Monday, 10 to 12. That's it. See ya.